0: From WAMU 88.5 at American University in Washington Welcome to the Politics Hour Starring Tom Sherwood I'm Kojo Nandi Tom Sherwood is our resident analyst and contributing writer for Washington City Paper. Tom Sherwood, welcome.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: Later in the broadcast, we'll be talking with Phyllis Randall, the chair of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors. But first up is Brian Frosch, the Maryland Attorney General. General Frosch, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Coach. But first, Tom Sherwood, let's talk a little bit about the new memoir that's just come out by Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. At least five chapters of it have been released. And it seems that this is part of the governor's preparation for a presidential run in 2024. Is that your understanding?
1: Uh, Yes, it certainly is a major publicity tour. You know, he's got this... um, He's got the first five chapters out there, some dispute. The Baltimore Sun did a a pretty interesting story uh, questioning the governor's recollections of events in these first five chapters. But the governor's office says, well, this is the way the governor remembers it. But it's clear uh, throughout this pandemic, uh, the the governor of Maryland, as the leader of the National Governors Association, has uh, been all over national media, even though he shies away from talking to local reporters except at organized events. He clearly is promoting both his view of what's happening and himself.
0: Uh, Brian Frosch, have you read the five chapters of the memoir that have been released?
2: Uh, No, I haven't, Kojo. I've read the reports about him with uh, amusement and interest, but haven't read the book. So you can't comment on it at this point, or care to
0: comment on Governor Hogan's apparent desire to run for president in
2: 2024? Uh, I don't really have anything to say about that. I won't be voting in the Republican primary, I can assure you of that. <laughs> and uh, I don't know who else will be running or what the circumstances will be in 2024.
0: Last week, Governor Hogan said the state would win a regular in-person election in the fall despite the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. You quickly
2: criticized that decision. What are your concerns? So, Kojo, I think it's heading uh, it, us for uh, a catastrophic election, Uh, let me say first what I think should happen. I think we should have a mail-in election, that ballots should be mailed to every registered voter. Um, I also think that they should have uh, voting centers on election day where people who didn't get their ballots, lost them, or whatever can go in and cast a vote. They should have drop-off stations where people can deliver by hand the ballots they've received uh, by mail. Um, I think that's by far the better approach. Uh, Governor Hogan's proposal to have everyone vote in person, even though they're going to mail applications for absentee ballots to everybody, is like a freight train barreling down the tracks toward a bridge that ain't there anymore. we're we're in this pandemic. It's not going to be gone by November. Um, we need to re- recruit and train 20,000 election judges to to participate in person on election day and before, and uh, they're they're dropping out like crazy. I know that the other day in Anne Arundel County, they said they were down a thousand election judges from where they. Uh, need to be at this point. Uh, most of the folks who, who do these jobs are older, are retired, and, and consequently high risk. So I think we're going to have a, a, a very serious problem staffing the polls on election day. And um, precincts are shutting down the senior centers, the nursing homes that are usually the voting centers and places are all saying, oh, sorry, you can't come to our place. Um, We can't risk our residents, our participants' health for this. And um, uh, just changing the precincts is going to be a a very difficult administrative task. You're going to have to notify All the voters in that precinct, you used to go to the XYZ school. Now you're going to this uh, voting center over here somewhere else.
0: So you think it's basically a disaster. I I do. In the making. Tom Sherwood?
2: Absolutely.
1: Uh, General Frost, thanks for coming on the show today. There's some suggestion by people across the country that Republicans are engaging in voter suppression by making it more difficult for people to vote. I wonder if you think this is part of that. Is it possible uh, for the legislature uh, to meet and direct, redirect how this is being done? All the state legisl- uh, elections officials seem to oppose what the governor wants to do. And even now, the, the state is looking for a new contractor to print the ballots uh, across the state. Uh, that's a $12 million contract. It just seems like it's quite the bureaucratic mess. But what about the politics of this? Is this voter so- suppression, in your view?
2: It's, it is definitely going to reduce the participation in the presidential election, without Is that the question. same
1: thing as suppression? Y-
2: you can call it whatever you want. Uh, I think there's little risk that Donald Trump is going to win the presidential election in Maryland. But it still is going to mean that people who are not well-to-do, who are... Uh, overwhelming, in in minority communities, in low-income communities, uh, this is gonna put huge burdens on uh, voters. And what about the
1: legislature? So could the legislature step in and, and maybe make this change? Recognize what your criticisms are. What do you do going forward? What possible changes, other than the governor changing his mind, could the legislature step in and do this?
2: The best course is for the governor to change his mind, Tom, uh, the legislature could, but they face all kinds of challenges. Uh, there are 188 members, 141 in the House of Delegates. The House chamber has all 141 of them plus staff in it whenever they're in session. They're shoulder to shoulder and they're indoors. It's a, just a flat out danger to the members of the General Assembly to call them back in uh, for a special session. and. Uh, they, they may be able to jump through some hoops and and possibly do um, something that relates to um, uh, uh, remote voting. Okay. But okay. when the, they go the, back, the, the, well, the first day they Mark, go back, they just, have let, to address all the vetoes of the previous session. Then they can take up something else. So they'll be there okay, for Okay, the eight. governor says
1: he's simply following the law. Um, you dispute that?
2: Uh, I He's following the law. He's not doing the smart thing. He can follow the law and have a vote by mail election. It's it's very easy. Did it in the primary. He really needs to do it in the in the general election as well.
0: We have several comments from listeners on Twitter. Raj weighs in I've made a point to repeatedly praise the many good decisions Governor Larry Hogan has made during this period. However, this one really seems odd and not in keeping with his COVID leadership. Mark in Maryland sent us an email. Your statement from July 10th said that massive voter fraud is exceedingly rare because of checks and balances, including an identifying number on each ballot. What is the nature of the identifying number, and how can it track and verify the validity of a ballot? General Farage?
2: yeah. So, I mean, the ballots are mailed to voters, and it's got uh, a, a tracking number on it that allows that that prohibits voters from getting multiple absentee ballots, and and submitting them in 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 their name. Um, there there haven't been any cases. Let me. In the past two presidential elections, I think there are a total of two voter fraud cases. The the Board of Elections does a great job of organizing the ballots so that there is not a possibility of voter fraud. Distinct from that, however, is the fact that when you mail ballots out, uh, the post office is unable to deliver many of them because they don't forward them at the request of the Board of Elections because we don't want them to go to folks who are not entitled to vote or to end up in a place where somebody can grab it and vote for somebody else. And that's one of the reasons why you need in-person voting on Election Day as well as a fallback, because we know 5% of the ballots will probably go astray. But they do a great job of ensuring that there is no massive voter fraud.
0: Last month, you created something called the Access to Justice Task Force in response to the pandemic and the recent Black Lives Matter protests. Tell us what this task
2: force does and who's in it. So we have Cojo uh, put together, I think, some of the smartest, uh, best people in the state to address the civil issues that arise out of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, We have uh, former Judge Andre Davis of the U.S. uh, Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, We have former Attorney General Steve Sachs. We have former Chief Judge of the Maryland Court of Appeals Robert Bell. And, and many, many other uh, experts. And we are looking at the situation that we face imminently with respect to uh, evictions and, and foreclosures. Uh, we're going to see, I'm afraid, hundreds of thousands of evictions in our state. Uh, we're trying to put together a plan that will provide legal help for those folks. We're, we're trying to put together a, a plan that will uh, flatten the curve of evictions uh, if, if possible. Our, our goal is to make policy uh, presentations available to the General Assembly when they reconvene in January, but in the meantime, we're going to be uh, trying to address individual issues uh, and Give suggestions to the courts. Give suggestions to the governor, because it's not just uh, evictions and foreclosures. It's it's uh, consumer protection. There is uh, there are heightened uh, dangers of domestic abuse. Uh, there we need to find funding for uh, legal aid, and we've got we've got committees. And the the, the digital divide, uh, of course, is really important. That needs to be addressed so that kids can be educated and people can work. Uh, So this task force is going to be looking at all of those issues and trying to put forward recommendations that the state can uh, adopt to deal with uh, this crisis and its aftermath. We're going to be
0: taking a short break. When we come back, we'll try to get to the phone calls that uh, we have from Kyle and from Jeff, and, of course, we have Tom Sherwood in the conversation. I'm Kojo Nandi. Welcome back. Our guest is Maryland Attorney General Brian Frush. Tom Sherwood. Uh,
1: General, I'm going to go to the governor's uh, op-ed in the Washington Post this week, how he lays out how he was so critical or has been so critical of President Trump's handling of the virus. Uh, some would say it's pretty easy to attack Trump now that his Approval rating on this is down in the 30s, but wh- how do you think the state is doing? And, and what is your reaction to the Baltimore Sun story today that the state contracted for a $12 million uh, contract for uh, mask and ventilators and it turns out that the company that the Hogan administration hired had no experience couldn't deliver and only got the contract probably because one of Governor Hogan's uh, senior officials recommended them.
2: So Tom, I I have to be a little careful here because we are involved in that, uh, and uh, in, in involved we're looking at it, and uh, I can't comment on what happened or how it happened or why. I, I but,
1: understand that because you're uh, the lo- I understand you're the law enforcement official, so I won't press you on that. But that same official yeah. in the Hogan administration recommended this uh, brand new. Uh, politically connected firm to other states, Alabama, and Illinois. So what overall your view as a citizen of the state, someone who I'm sure has personal um, feelings about the virus, how is the state of Maryland doing in combating this virus as we look to open schools and, and keep people safe?
2: Yeah, we, we like all of the other states in, in America need to be barging ahead on testing we're not doing enough in Maryland, we don't have enough tests, we're not administering to enough people, and we're not doing the tracing that needs to be done in order to to, to tamp down uh, the virus. It's, it's amazing that the models across the world are there for us to, to use, and we have failed to, to see that. Um, South Korea, which uh, blew up early, uh, now is down to very low numbers of cases, and it's and uh, same with New Zealand, and other places, where they they tested aggressively, did contact tracing aggressively, and then had people quarantine after uh, they had been in contact with folks with the disease. That's what we need to be doing, uh, and. Uh, you know, it needs to be done all over the country. It needs to be done in Maryland as well. Look,
1: can they, let me follow that up as important, because the governor got international publicity when his wife helped him secure 500,000 test uh, kits uh, from this uh, from Korea, but they've kind of fallen into a black hole. No one knows quite what's happening with them. Do you know where those tests
2: are? I, I have no idea. What I do know is that what uh, they got were 500,000 test kits, which is call it a test tube, it's one of three components that you need to, to do the tests. We, you need a swab, you need reagents, and you need the, the test kit. So just getting those kits doesn't allow uh, the state to do any tests. We don't know, there has not been transparency on this, so we don't know uh, to what extent those 500,000 uh, kits have been used or whether they're just sitting in storage somewhere. But the, the, the point is we need a lot more uh, and we need the complete package and we need to have a program whereby we're doing the tests and the contact tracing. Here's Kyle in Snow Hill, Maryland. Kyle, Kyle you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes,
1: I had a question for uh, Mr. Frosch. Uh, you know, with with the push nationwide more and more so to defund the police as it, as it were,
2: uh, I, my question for you would be, During his last election against Craig Wolf, uh, Mr. Wolf exposed a number of cases where uh, individuals were arrested for crime violence or excuse me, for gun violence in one way or
1: another. But due to your catch and release policy, a number of them were released on their own uh, recognizance. And then a lot of them didn't show up for their court case. And uh, as of today, I still see no uh, initiative from your office that's going to be tougher on gun crime. Do Do you have any anything to say to that?
2: Sure. Um, first of all, I don't remember that Craig Wolf said specifically that, but it's not true. Um, our office doesn't do the, uh, the street policing. We don't arrest somebody usually on the street for possessing a weapon that he or she shouldn't uh, possess or for committing a gun crime. Um, there is no catch and release policy uh, in effect. The bail system has been changed. So, that people who are charged with minor crimes like shoplifting, urinating in public, trespassing, don't end up sitting in jail because they can't afford to pay bail that's been set for them by the court system. But that, and look, there are hundreds of judges across the state making these decisions. Uh, they don't all get it right, uh, but our office doesn't play a role in those individual cases. Now, we do go after organized crime. We do go after uh, gun traffickers. And uh, when we go after them and we charge them, they don't get released.
0: Um, Governor Hogan and State Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Karen Solomon, will give an update next week on Maryland schools reopening. Montgomery and Prince George's counties are both starting virtually. D.C. has put off its decision until July 31st. Do you have any insight at all or any opinion on what you think should happen?
2: Uh, Kojo, I I think the path on this is pretty easy. Let's let the experts tell us whether it's safe or not. And uh, right now, I I don't think the Maryland schools are ready to open, but uh, in a month, Maybe on a limited basis. I, I, I'm skeptical that kids should be going back to school in mass in September. Um, but I, I'm not Dr. Fauci. I don't know what the right approach is. But he's the guy that I would uh, listen to to determine whether or not Maryland public schools ought to be opening. Tom Sherwood.
1: On a different subject, we're going to talk more about this later in the program, but the the NFL football team from Washington that plays there in Maryland, there was a major story about sexual harassment at, uh, in the team, the team's hired a lawyer to uh, investigate, but this is also in the state of Maryland. Does the attorney general's office, do you have any concerns about what's been reported in the Post about years and years of sexual harassment? Is there anything illegal here or possibly illegal that you might look into?
2: So, what I read suggests that there are uh, violations of law on the civil side. I, I didn't get a chance to finish the article, so I can't tell you um, whether there were a criminal acts alleged or not. If there were, it's potentially something we could look at, but it's usually the bailiwick of the, uh, the state's attorney, and in this case it would be Aisha Braveboy, the state's attorney in Prince George's County. I, I will say uh, I think the team definitely needs a name change. and. Um, Uh, they seem to need a culture change as well, based on today's article. Here's David in Bethesda. David,
0: you're on the air.
2: Go ahead, please. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to commend uh, Attorney General Frosch for his leadership on this and many other issues uh, regarding uh, the fall election. I particularly wanted to ask about counting the ballots. So if there is a uh, massive increase in the number of ballots submitted by mail, it's my understanding that current state law requires they can't be counted uh, or even opened until the Thursday after Election Day. And so um, how is that true? How can it be changed? And if it's not changed, what are the uh, risks and implications of that? I only have about a minute left, General Frosch. OK, uh, they can they can start counting before that, but they... Um, they are limited in, in uh, what they can do in that regard. It worked very well in the primary on election night. We had pretty good idea uh, who was ahead in the various different races. Um, it may take some days to, to sort this out, whether we have a mail-in election or not, because we're getting many more uh, ballots in by mail.
0: Michelle couldn't stay on the line. How about drive-in voting rather than mail-in ballots, and how about several days of voting? We have about thirty seconds left.
2: Yeah, we do have. Uh, our our system does allow people to vote prior to the um, uh, prior to election day, uh, at a polling station, and uh, that will obtain whether whether we do a mail ballot, whether everybody gets mail the ballot or whether uh, the, the predominant method of voting is voting on election day. Their early voting uh, goes on for a couple of weeks before uh, the
0: general election. Brian Frosch is the Maryland Attorney General. He's a Democrat. General Frosch, thank you very much for joining us. Kojo,
2: uh, it's always a pleasure. Tom, Good. thanks to you too.
0: We're gonna to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Phyllis Randall. She's chair of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors. I'm Kojo Nan. <laughs> Welcome back. Joining us now is Phyllis Randall, chair of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors. Uh, Phyllis Randall, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me. Good afternoon.
0: Earlier, Tom Sherwood mentioned to our previous guest, Attorney General Brian Frosch, about the scandal of sexual harassment taking place at the Washington football team's headquarters. And, of course, we know that the Washington football team also has a presence in Loudoun County. But in this situation, we're talking about 15 former female employees of the team who spoke to the Washington Post, 14 of them on condition of anonymity. But Tom short first you. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, the team is already in turmoil over the, the decades-late decision to change its name. Now, this story alleging for, since 2006 until last year, uh, uh, wholesale uh, abuse of... Uh, or mistreatment of, of women in the workplace uh, adds another boulder to what Dan Snyder is facing. There's no allegation, I should say, that Dan Snyder has done anything wrong, but. Larry Michael, the voice of the team for the last uh, 15 or so years, uh, abruptly resigned uh, uh, on the very day the Washington Post submitted specific questions about things that he had done inappropriately as a member of that team. And so the team has responded not so much publicly, but it has said it has hired Beth Wilkinson. She is an attorney. She is probably best known to the public as the lawyer who represented Brett uh, Kavanaugh uh, during his uh, confirmation hearings for the Senate in the allegations of wrongdoing. She's been asked to do a review of the, Reds, of the Redskins uh, management to see what happens, but I'm glad our guest is on. I think it might be her first time because the team has a very big presence in Loudoun County, and still some speculating that there could be a football stadium there if the county allowed it. I wonder if we'll get to that in a moment, maybe.
0: Um, Phyllis Randall, care a comment?
3: Well, first of all, again, thank you for having me on, and I will first speak to the fact that um, so many people have believed that the uh, the name of the Washington team is an um, inappropriate and offensive name, and so we were very happy that they decided to change the name. The Loudoun County Board actually voted um, to um, weigh in on this a- issue because the team is located uh, the training facilities in Loudoun County, and they, um, they're, they're very closely identified to our county, so we weighed in on that, and We encourage that name change and happy that it's happening. As far as the allegations, they are that right now. They are allegations. I believe all allegations uh, should be taken seriously. I believe women should be listened to, should, should be respected and treated with dignity. Um, while while we they work through this process, but I but I hasten to to rush to any other statements right now. These allegations are about 24 hours old, and so I don't know that anything else should be said about them because I don't have anything else, any other information to. to uh, Chair, add.
1: Chair, Randall, if I could ask you, thank you again for being on the show. Uh, it, that is a your economic development team promotes the 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 NFL team's uh, presence in your county, which is growing leaps and bounds. There also is a street. I think it's called Redskins Avenue. Is that a public street or is that a private street in their complex? And if it is a public street, would you county be looking to change that name also?
3: So the, the arrangement that the Loudoun, Loudoun County actually had, the formal arrangement with the Washington Redskins, uh, the football team, has uh, expired. And so we don't, that, that promotion um, does not exist anymore. We do not have a, a formal contract with them at all, although they still are located, the, the training center within Loudoun County. Uh, I know the speech you're talking about, and I do believe it is completely within the Redskins um, compound, However, that is something I would be happy to check on. And if, if it, in fact, it is a public street, and I don't believe it is, I would most definitely um, uh, support changing that name.
0: It is no coincidence, in my view, that all of this is going on in the wake of the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests, and now we're seeing all kinds of investigations into racial equity or the lack thereof and into sexual harassment. And, of course, there is this ongoing The Loudoun County Board unanimously voted to remove the Silent Sentinel Confederate Monument, which sits outside the Loudoun County Courthouse. This is something that wouldn't have happened even a year ago. Removing the statue has been a priority for you for nearly two decades. Why was it removed now, and why at one point did you attempt to stop people from, I guess, assaulting the statue so that you would have the pleasure of ultimately seeing it removed? (laughs)
3: Well, let me say that, you know, I think, let me say first that, you know, what happened to George Floyd is not new. It is just now being taped. And I don't believe that all that is happening now across the country, the wave of, of protest and Calls for equality and justice and equity are new. I think that George Floyd was the tipping point. He was the the last straw, um, as you were as it was. And so there are so many other names um, that we should remember and should call. Um, but George Floyd was the one that we watched on um, camera for almost nine minutes, um, basically be murdered on camera. And so I think that the it was just so striking to see it. But it's not new, and we know that it's not new. Um, speaking to the uh, to the Confederate statue that's been sitting on Loudoun County, uh, public publicly owned property since 1908, um, it uh, I have been yes fighting to have the statue removed. My first op-ed about it was in 2004. Um, I have written about it. I have uh, lectured about it. I have talked about it. I've appeared before the Board of Supervisors in the past about it. I said to somebody, I've been fighting the Confederacy three times longer than the Confederacy existed. It only existed actually for five years, Um, which is pretty amazing. Um, And just last year, yes, just last year, um, I put a motion forward on my board to allow the county government to control what sits on our own county property. And I could not get that vote through the board. Well, since then, and we've had an election, elections do have consequences and we have uh, new members of the board who supported that um, along with the um, all that is happening in the country right now. Uh, i believe that the country was ripe and ready um i i am just very happy that they that that we have now make, taken that vote about um this is about 6 weeks ago we had a um, a march, uh, equity march in Loudoun County. And uh, we ended at the courthouse grounds where the Confederate statue sits. And there were people who uh, were wanting to literally tear the, the the statue from its base. And you know what? I, I understand that feeling, um, but I don't agree with that. One, I, I do believe there's a right way to do things and the vote was the right way to do it. But I also believe, and this is so important, that there have been uh, people for generations, generations of people who have talked about these statues and that statue in particular, who have fought against it, um, and they deserve to watch the process play out. They deserve to watch the the, vo- the vote taken place. Uh, the families of people who have passed on, who deserve to be part of the process, and so tearing down a statue, um, it gives some emotional relief to the people who tear it down. But there are so many more people who have been part of this process, and it and and they deserve to to watch the fruits of all that they have been. Fighting for come to fruition, and so yes, I found myself, as did the vice chair of our board, Karan Sainz, who actually happens to be African American, you know, literally standing our bodies in front of the statue, saying, "You will not tear this statue down. We will do it the right way," and then we did.
0: And it's coming down September first. That's my understanding.
3: It will. So the Daughters of the Confederacy, knowing that we have the votes to remove it, have said that they would come reclaim it. They have said that they will come reclaim it um, on or before September 7th. And um, I people have asked me what will happen to the statue. And my (laughs) comment is the statue sits on public taxpaying property in front of the courthouse. I don't care what they do with that statue, to be quite honest. As long as it's it's gone, and so they will, um, they will, they're responsible for it, and they're and they're paying to take it down. The county is not spending one dime to take it down, and we shouldn't.
0: Uh, Reese in Loudon County has a question about it. Reese, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Hi, chairwoman.
1: I want to thank you for your leadership. Um, my question is about um,
2: an enabler, and and I'm, I'm so glad the statue is removed. Can you tell me what the
3: historical significance for African Americans and, you know, the, how also that enablers can be educated about the historical significance of these statues? Chair Randall? That's just, that's an excellent question and thank you so much and the answer, I'll try to keep this answer as, as short as possible. You know, there are so many people who, um, who either choose to believe or just are ignorant to the fact of what the Civil War was about and choose to say that the Civil War was not about the fact that uh, some people wanted to own other people. But if you listen to um, the Confederate Vice President, Andrew Stevens, he gave a speech on March 21st, I think it was 1861, it was called the cornerstone speech and he actually said that the, uh, the 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 cornerstone of the of the civil war rested upon the great truths that the negro was not equal to the white man that slavery was the subordination of the superior race and the negro's natural and normal condition that was the vice president of the confederacy so you know when we've talked about this when I've been talking about this, I've heard people say, well, it's not really about slavery. You should do your homework. And, you know, you cannot ever tell me to go do my homework because then I'm going to. I have set up um, night after night after night and literally read through the succession papers of all the Confederate states. Let me just be clear. The Civil War was primarily and fundamentally about one race of people wanting to own another race of people. So when these statues went up, and they went up well beyond the, when the Civil War is over, the one in Loudoun went up in um, 1908. It wasn't just about um, honoring uh, Confederate soldiers, not at all. In fact, on Loudoun's property, uh, and uh, there had been... Uh, that Loudon's property is where slaves were sold. Loudon's property w- was where people were drug out of the uh, the um then jailhouse and and lynched literally young orion anderson was was drunk drug out of that very spot and lynched and then 19 years later a confederate statue was was placed in that um site and so these confederate statues are really very much about a message of okay. of who was in charge and who was not in charge and they went up um not after the 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 um, civil war but during jim crow
1: tom Sherwood. Uh, I have two questions. One fallout from the uh, uh, George Floyd is issues about police departments. You proposed that there be a a review to create a police department in Loudoun County, which right now is policed by the sheriff's office with its 600 officers. After some feedback, you said, well, we'll take a look at the the entire governance of Loudoun County's government, how it's structured, and so you're going to be voting on that, I believe, next week. Meanwhile, the sheriff, who's elected in the county, Mike Chapman, says that this is a uh, blatant power grab by you and the, I guess, the Democrats on the county board. The, the sheriff has 600 officers uh, in a county with 400,000 people. Uh, it's 500 square miles, an $87 million budget. He's suggesting that they can do the job. You've said the sheriff and the sh- can be elected without any qualifications, and, the, and there's not enough oversight of the police department. Why do you want to have a new police department in Loudoun County?
3: Yeah, fair question. Fair question. Thank you for asking me that question. First of all, Um, I don't feel like it's appropriate to have the chief elected official in Loudoun County, the chair, and the the sheriff having tit-to-tat back and forth. It's not good for the county. It's not good for the people. I will say that Sheriff Chapman and I have just this year had at least three or four meetings on this, and so this was not at all new to him, and he knows exactly why I put this forward. So he can say what he wants to say, and I'm not going to have a a tit-for-tat. There are some things you just don't dignify, and so I'm not going to, but I will say this. Um it is true. To be an, to be an elected sheriff, all that is required is to live in a county, um, be of legal requirement age, uh, legal requirement age. Um, that's it. That's it, to be a citizen of legal age. Um, law enforcement is not uh, experience is not required, investigative experience is not required, military experience is not required, budgetary experience is not required, none of those things are required to be the sheriff. And so at any moment, at any point, um, it doesn't, it's not about the a the person in office at that moment, it is about the process that, that would allow somebody completely unqualified to be sheriff to be to to, to take that position. I will say excuse that Mike me, Chapman is, is, is very.
1: Uh, uh, excuse me, Chairman. Let me interrupt you because I know we don't have a lot of time. Fairfax sure. County, for example, has a sheriff's office that handles court duties, and then there is a police department that handles policing. Now, it sounds like. You want something similar to that in other counties, but are you in fact going to have some type of vote on this coming week and what will the vote be about?
3: Well, to be clear, it's not just Fairfax County. It's every county in Northern Virginia. The sheriff is a constitutional officer. They never go away. You never get rid of a sheriff. The question is, will you have the sheriff do court and civil duties and a police officer, a police chief, who is answerable not to the politicians, but to the county administrator? That is the question. Will you have some type of oversight over that? Excuse me, um, I apologize. On, on t- what are you going to be sure, voting sure. on next week? On Tuesday, we're going to vote on, t- on... There are two parts to the to the motion. The first part to the motion is to have the county administrator and staff look at the different types of county government that are allowable um, under Virginia State Constitution right now. Um, as far as I know, there are four or five. We are under Louding counties on the traditional type of ca- government. Um, and the second part of the motion, it would be to bring back... Um, a motion next year after a study is done on cost to place on the ballot for 2021 a referendum for a sheriff's department because what the people have said to me and as elected official your jobs listen to the people people have said yes they want to do this or no they want don't want to do this but almost all of them said but they first want to see cost and so we're okay, going to put on much. the ballot cost sure no problem
0: here is lisa in loudon county lisa you're on the air go ahead, please. <laughs>
3: Hello. Um, we are in Western Loudoun County and both telework and telehealth and particularly school has been a nightmare this through this pandemic because of lack of Internet. Um, there's there's no change in any accessibility to Internet in the last 10 years in the western part of the county. And we're, on, we're always in communication with our supervisor and whatever, but the county government is really limited in what they're able to do about this. I'm wondering if the board as a whole has been hearing this throughout the pandemic, if all the supervisors are hearing that um, we're going to have a big problem as people try to go back to school, in particular with continuing to educate from home.
0: I'm going to ask um, Chair Randall to respond to that in a broader context. Wednesday was the sure. deadline. For Loudoun County families to decide between two options for a return to school, a hybrid model with two in-person and three virtual days, or a completely virtual option that many teachers say a return to in-person learning is unsafe. More than 300 educators participated in a Solidarity for Safety rally outside of the school district's headquarters on Monday. How would you answer both the concerns of our caller about lack of Internet access for virtual learning and educators' concerns about going in to school because of their concerns about safety.
3: Well, those are very two very good questions. Let me answer Lisa's uh, question first. First, yes, sure. yes, ma'am. We've heard about uh, internet access in Western Loudon County for years, and we have actually made many attempts. But the truth is, um, when you when you neither want to have people, or you nor do you want to have cell towers, it's hard to get effective internet access, and so what we've done is two things. One, we've done um, micro towers that are fairly small that we've set on um, public buildings, but also especially after the COVID-19 pr- crisis started, we put hot spots all around Western Loudoun County so that it would make connection easier. Is it enough? I doubt it, and I think when we hear from people in Western Loudoun County, they say that, but we're still investigating ways, especially as the school year approaches to get better internet and access in Loudoun County, we do hear that. Um, As far as the school system, I will say that Um, I I do not envy the school board and the school administration this very, very tough decision. You know, by profession, I'm a mental health therapist. And so I really do know how important it is for kids to be in school and to socialize. And I know that a lot of times when kids are having issues at home of abuse or violence, it's the teacher that picks up on those things first. Um, And so there is so much there's so much um, value to face to face education and having them in school at the same time you know we are in a novel virus and we don't know what 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 is going on right now and how to handle some of these things and so i have said for every decision i've made we have made in this in this process that we should follow science and data and I've talked to the Secretary of Education. i talked to the school um, superintendent. And they have said that they are following science and data as they make these decisions. So I'm going to leave the decisions up to the decision makers, which is the school board and the school administrative staff. And, I, and, and I'm going to encourage them as they make these decisions to follow the science and the data.
0: Of course, in D.C., Mayor Muriel Bowser has put off a decision until July 31st. But staying with education for a second, here's Rachel in Loudoun County. Rachel, your turn.
2: Hi, yes. Both myself and my husband are frontline workers, and so we both have to go back to work. Have you guys uh, discussed or thought about the idea of voucher systems going forward for the school just for this year so that people who don't have a choice but to have care for their child will have some accommodations made for them?
3: Talking to the, hi Rachel, thanks for calling in. Talking to the school superintendent, um, I have, I do not believe they have talked about voucher systems. I can take that idea to him. I know that for, um, in the county, we have talked extensively about um, child care options and child care um, possibilities for children of county employees and children of, of school employees. Um, we have to find spaces that are large enough. We have to, you know, little kids. Little kids especially. They're beautiful, wonderful, cute little Petri dishes that always touch one another. And so you really have to find appropriate spaces that are large enough. And so we're talking about um, at the county government um, child care options that we can help with funding. But the, but the school system, I do not know if they have talked about vouchers or not. Tom no, Sherwood. Sure
1: uh, thank you. There's the news breaking. The Washington Business Journal is saying that, uh, Dan Snyder, the owner of the team, has put out a statement denouncing the, har- uh, the sexual harassment being reported in his organization and says he's, he's intent on rooting it out. But let me go back to the pandemic, the historic pandemic. Chairman, you gave your, I watched your uh, May speech, your State of the County speech, and you gave a nice strong uh, speech supporting the students who couldn't graduate in class and all that. But your voice, I believe, literally broke, and you took a moment when you started talking about all the small businesses in your county that are affected. Um, how has this uh, pandemic affected your own approach to being a public servant?
3: You know, people take their whole lives and dream their whole lives about having their own business, whatever that business might be, and to do everything right and to wait and to invest correctly and to work very, very hard just to have something like this happen is just devastating for their for their finances, but also just for you know how hard they worked. So. Um, You know, one of the things we focused on when we received CARES Act money was doing what was called business interruption funds that was able to give not loans but grants to qualifying qualifying businesses in Loudoun County. And we've given out hundreds of those grants at this point with CARES Act money um, from $7,500 up to $10,000. And while we know that that is not... Um, you know, what the normal revenue of a business would be. The goal is to try to help them just keep the lights on and to float them until um, they can get back on their feet. Also, when we hit phases two and three, uh, what we've done was we uh, went into the boardroom and decided to take some of the restrictions of, of zoning and um, things often so restaurants can have more outdoor seating and dining and um, things like that. And so we have really looked at, at different ways. i worked closely with um, the Visit Loudoun, our tourism arm with the Chamber of Commerce to start something called Loudoun, We Are Ready. And that was to signal to people that, that there are establishments that are safe to go back to. What we learned from states that opened much too soon was that although the states opened, people didn't come back. Because they did not feel safe to come back, and so we and Loudon, we are ready. The the uh, business owners are um, have a checklist of things that they're doing to assure that their business is as safe as possible. Um, our small business community is just so vital and important, and it just it it was it was just very it's very hard to know that people were, you know, suffering and losing their businesses. And I know never in our lifetimes have we had to decide between our lives, and our livelihoods. And that's what this pandemic has done.
0: And I'm afraid that's about all the time we have. Phyllis Randall is the chair of the Loudoun County Board of Supervisors. She is a Democrat. Phyllis Randall, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Tom Sherwood, big plans this weekend? Uh,
1: Pretty much hunkering down.
0: (laughs) Not going on any long drives to Prince George's County again?
1: Uh, No, that was a great trip to Prince George's County though, the Merkle Wildlife Sanctuary. I recommend it to everyone.
0: Today's show was produced by Sydney Grannon. Coming up Monday, Chef Kwame Anwachi recently announced that he's leaving the wharf's kith and kin and setting out on a new culinary venture. Plus, on Kojo for Kids, we're blasting off with astronaut Stanley Love. Remember, adults can listen, but only kids can call in. Speaking of Kojo for Kids, we want to wish a very happy early birthday to producer Lauren Marco. Those Kojo for Kids segments you hear every Monday, those are all Lauren. Those who know her count themselves lucky she's not only one of the kindest and most Full of colleagues. She's also pretty darn good at her job. So happy birthday, Lauren. We're a better team because of you. Everyone else, have a wonderful weekend and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nami. The Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Grannon, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardnier, Richard Cunningham, and Kayla Hewitt. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Shrobstorp.
3: Our engineers are Mike Kidd and Rashad Young. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org.
0: Michaela LaFrac here. You're invited to What's with Washington's next virtual trivia event on October 1st. We've got all new questions to test your knowledge of the D.C. region. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend an hour nerding out over local trivia? Plus, it's free. Head to wamu.org slash events to register, and I'll see you on October 1st.